0: well there, you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voices prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk show.
2: Recorded live.
1: Greens everybody. Welcome to another episode of Awakening Universal Minds. Um tonight we're gonna have a special guest with us, Scott Allen Rob- Roberts, uh waiting for him to join us uh on the call, get on the phone. Um tonight we're gonna be talking about um a topic that's uh you know, kinda kinda debatable. Um there's been many books written on this topic. Um people have elaborated over the years, such as um Zachariah Stitching, uh, Andres Paris put a book out on a lot of this information and dealing with reptilians, extraterrestrials. Uh, the connection of extraterrestrials and and how it correlates and connects with our DNA. So that's going to be the topic um, we are going to be dealing with. Um, Before we begin, before we get um, Scott Roberts on the line, a couple announcements. Um, We will have uh, next week, he joined us a few weeks back, Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum is is going to come back and talk about his, or continue to talk about his book, dark and consciousness and some of the other books that he wrote um the period that we have with him last time was a little bit short so we weren't able to it, believe it or not in the two-hour period cover everything we wanted to cover so we're going to get into that we're going to um, have dr Dela blair will be returning in a couple of weeks um and we also have um a couple of other things that we will announce at the end of the end of the show some other events um and again For all those tuning in for the first time, some people um, tune in, listen live on the Internet only, and when we open up the call for questions, if you're just listening live on the Internet, you can type your questions in, and we will forward those questions over, and we'll address them. If you're live on the call, on the phone, um, you can, when we go through the uh, queue, we will be able to uh, get you on the phone, and you'll be able to ask your questions. Okay, so again, topic... That we're going to be discussing tonight the interaction with extraterrestrials and what is the connection with that with us in, in our DNA? Um, that is the number one question. Now, many people have uh, many different uh, concepts on that, but we're going to give some information on that. Let's see, let's see if we have Mr. Robbins on the phone with us so we can bring him. Scott, are you there with us? I am indeed. All right. We appreciate you joining us and taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, spend a couple hours with us. Um, if you could, for those um, that are listening and, and may not be completely familiar with you, can you give us a, a background of yourself, um, some of the work that you've done, and just just the overall general background of yourself?
0: Well, sure. Uh, well, my name is Scotty Roberts, and uh, Um, I spent uh, the bulk of my adult life in advertising as a creative director, an illustrator, designer, and all of those good things. And um, I would say about uh, what year was it? It was uh, 2007. Um, I wrote and illustrated my first book, The Rollicking Adventures of Tam O'Hare, and it was published by Morgan James, and it was an illustrated book. Um, uh, anthropomorphized story that I really targeted to kids, but it ended up being picked up more by college kids than anybody else. And up, Uh, anthropomorphized story set in uh, the Tudor England, Ireland and Scotland. And uh, I went on from there after that. And I worked for uh, the Taps Para magazine as their editor in chief and uh, uh, was there for uh, about a year and a half. And, uh, uh, left that outfit and launched my own magazine, Intrepid Magazine, in uh, December of 2010, and our first issue came out uh, February of 2011 as a preview, and then the, the number one issue in April of 2011, and uh, we've been uh, publishing ever since. And
3: okay.
0: uh, off of that, uh, we've got uh, we built uh, Intrepid Radio, which is uh, Dr. John Ward and me are uh, the host of that. We've been doing that for about two years now, kind of a radio branch of, uh, Intrepid, of Intrepid Magazine. And we have the Paradigm Symposiums, which we started, uh, we're now going into the fourth year of that, Paradigm Symposium 2015, this October. And we, uh, John and I also uh, authored uh, what would be my fourth book, no, well, my third book for New Page Books. Um, I had done two books with them previously, and then John and I co-authored The Exodus Reality, and uh, we take tours uh, over to Egypt. He's a, an archaeologist that uh, lives and works in Egypt. And uh, so we bring people over. And uh, that kind of brings us up to date. Uh, IPBN is our uh, talk radio network, which is uh, now we've got all the papers signed. It's going to be a terrestrial FM talk radio station in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Nice, nice.
1: And um, if you could, Scott, could you give people your website, where they can find the information that you just talked about and where they can sure. purchase some of your books?
0: Sure. Probably the best place to go is my personal website. It's got links to everything on there. And that's just my full name, com. And that's Scott with two T's, and Alan is com.
1: All right, appreciate that, Scott. And again, uh, some of the books we're going to focus on. We're going to be jumping around tonight. Um, So again, for those just tuning in, I see people coming in. Again, if you're just listening on the internet, you'll be able when we open the show up to some questions. um, You can type your questions in, and I'll forward them over to Scott. And then we will take calls. We will go to the phone, and we'll go right in order. And I would like to say, I know some people they just don't register. So I see a state, you will be the only one able to talk. So if I just call a state and you're in that state speak, if I could hear you, you would be the person on the call. Some of you do have a name and registered. Uh, the other call is I will call you by name when that portion of the show um, opens up. Um, some of the main books we want to focus on with Scott Roberts tonight is The Exodus Reality, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Nephilim, and The Secret History of the Reptilian. So we're kind of going to be jumping around a little bit of that. Um, so if we could, um, if you could start at first, Scott, and you know, I've read in, in, in the book you kind of for those that maybe have not read the book, can you kind of
0: explain what drew you to some of these topics? Because the reptilian thing, uh, the extraterrestrial thing, there's, there's a lot of.
1: I mean, was it just something you just came, what, what directed you in this direction to, to, to these three books that I mentioned? Uh,
0: And this kind of thing, it's um, the it's the mm-hmm. um uh the same thing everybody has, which is a curiosity for that unknown, and right. uh, that curiosity uh, started when I was a kid. As a matter of fact, in my book on the Nephilim, um, I start the the whole book starts off in the introduction with you know I sort of think I spent far too many hours as a kid laying on the top of my mother's garage looking at the stars <laughs> at night. Uh, right. wanting to be a starship captain. And, of course, when I was 6, 7, well, i a little older than that, 8, 9, 10, 11, and there was where all this was forming in my mind. And I was always drawn to the mysterious, to the creatures, to the monsters, to the aliens, to all that stuff. And uh, that curiosity, of course, as I grew older, uh, it, it turned into something else. It uh, uh, turned into a curiosity to find out and do more research on some of these things that were out there. Uh, because there's a lot of claims out there. And uh, I got my my start. I went off to Bible school, and I ended up in seminary, and uh, I started having some questions about things during my seminary days, uh, especially about the Nephilim, as you find them in in the book of Genesis. And I I had questions about it, and I wanted to research it, and I wasn't getting satisfactory answers in the seminary. And I spent a few years doing uh, uh, ministry. I was a youth pastor alongside my advertising career, and right. uh, um, I left that after a while. I, I started becoming a little disillusioned with some of the things that we were being taught, and I said there has to be more to this. So that's what really got me going.
1: Okay. Um, speaking of the Nephilim, let's let's go uh, a famous quote. And we go into the book of Genesis, and and I know you've touched on, on this in your books. If you can, maybe explain to the listeners the research that you gathered. One of the one of the most popular quotes when dealing with the Nephilim with a. As it's referred to in the sixth chapter of Genesis, when you read the first several verses, I believe one to seven, it talks about giants coming down and, and impregnating the daughters of men. It talks about these giants from the sky. And I know you talk about in the book, the bloodline of that form. So let's kind of start there in Genesis. What exactly is this quote saying in, in your research that you've gathered, if you can explain to the listeners uh, that specific passage in the sixth chapter of Genesis?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, what you've got there in Genesis 6 is four verses that talk about uh, how the sons of God came down and intermingled with the daughters of men and had children by them. In the book of Enoch, which is one of the apocryphal books, uh, those sons of God, the same characters are referred to as the watchers, and that's where we get that term. That's not just a colloquial term that's come up with all the ancient alien type of stuff, that's a term that comes right out of one of the old apocryphal books written 2,500 years ago. And so the Watchers were um, this cast, a lot of people thought that they were angels that came down, they thought that they uh, they were giants, which ends up actually being a mistranslation in the Hebrew text from the 1611 King James Version of the Bible. Um, because it's not giants. Nephilim does not mean giants, which is how they right. originally interpreted it.
3: Uh, right.
0: Nephilim is, uh, the, if you break it down in the old Hebrew is Nephal and Nephal meant meant to fall as if like into fall in battle or right. to, uh, uh, come down or to leave. It, it had a more amplified definition by, uh, one who has left his first estate and gone to another. And the him at the end of the word, uh, or in the English, the I am, that is the Hebrew suffix, which um, denotes plurality. So all Nephilim right. means is those who fell, those who came down, those who, and because the word nephal is linked to falling, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an evil falling, like the fallen angels. It doesn't right. necessarily mean that. It could be right. just simply those who left one place to go to another. And uh, um, so what you've got in the book of Genesis, it literally in the Hebrew reads, and the the bene ha-elohim, that's the sons of God, came down and intermingled with the daughters of men. And men, there is the daughters is the daughters of Adam, or Adam, Uh, same word for man. And uh, one of the first things that struck me about that passage, and I asked my seminary professors about this, I said, you teach us, that language means something when it comes to biblical um, uh, translation. Uh, right. And in this passage, I said, you've got, you've got two different forms mentioned here. You've got Bene ha-elohim, that intermingled with daughters of Adam. And I said, mm-hmm. so now, I said, what is this passage talking about? Now, I had some seminary professors that would say, well, There's nothing really weird or strange about that at all. It just simply refers to the sons of the aristocrats who built the school of the prophets, that they went, in a sense, slumming down into the valley with the common women, and they had children. And I said, well, then why is there such a stark contrast in the language? Why why does it say Elohim versus Adam? Now, let me explain that for a second. Elohim is the word used in the Hebrew for the name of God. And there are several words for the name of God in the Old Testament. Um, right. But Elohim is the one that's used the most. Almost 3,000 times in the Old Testament it stands for God. And right. uh, it's also a, a word that means... Uh, remember I talked already about the, the, the him F, the suffix at the end of a word denotes plurality. Right. Now right. Elohim is structured the same way. The word L is the Canaanite, or the eventually the Hebrew, or Israelite word for God, El. And you see it appearing in the Bible in Elohim, El Shaddai, El Elyon, all of those uh, references to El in the Old Testament. And him denotes plurality. So here's what you've got. You've got a word, Elohim, and the, the best way to compare it is like the word deer, in our English language, I can say I looked out my back window and saw a single deer, singular. Right. Or I looked in the front yard and yeah. saw so a herd of deer, plural. Uh, right. The word doesn't change, but the context changes the the plurality or, or singularity. Now, this is the same with Elohim. Elohim can represent the singular God or it can mean many gods. And so, the strict definition of the word Elohim. Simply means God among many gods, right. or God of many gods, and right. so what you have in that passage is the Beneha Elohim, the the sons of the God of many gods, and uh, I believe what you find, and it's 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 backed up with uh, passages like uh, Psalm eighty two. If you've got a Bible and you want to look it up, look up Psalm eighty two, same word right. used. It says uh, Elohim stood in the midst of the Elohim. That's singular and plural. And he said to them, singular to plural again, you are all Elohim, plural, the bright okay. shining princes of heaven. And then he goes to render okay. judgment on them. Now right. you, you compare that to the uh, sons of Elohim or the sons of God as found in the uh, uh, in the Genesis 6 passage. And you can see there's a stark contrast to the daughters of Adam or the daughters of men.
1: Right.
0: Sounds like you've got a live audience.
1: Yes, yes. There's a little guy in the background. I'm sorry about that. Um, speaking of that quote, I want to stay on the Psalms 82.6 real quick. If you also, in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 34, and, and I know there was a statement, and I, I've known coming across a lot of uh, theologians, pastors, um, different people in different religious schools of thought, Jesus made a statement in that, in that book, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are God's children of the most high. And that was in a, in a sequence. There was a question there where the Pharaohs and the Sadducees were questioning. Him. Is, is this correlated or connected? Was he referring to that quote in Psalms
0: 82.6? Well, let's see. Uh, the, the best way to find out is to look at the, the context of the whole chapter. That's, that's going to be the best way to find out. And when you look at the verses surrounding that, and this is what a lot of people do. They will take a verse out of context. And uh, they'll take a lot of things out of context, but you have to look at the surrounding context to see what in the world he's talking about. Um, and here's how it starts. It goes back to verse 22. He says, And then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And it goes on and on. Uh, Verse 31, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they said, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And then verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he calls them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do any of you accuse me of blasphemy because I said "I I am God's son? do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am the Father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped. All right, that's the context of that verse. Right. And I don't know the direct antecedent to when he's saying, uh, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods. Now, that's not referring to the Nephilim, uh, right. It's not referring to the Watchers because that's not part of the law. That Psalm right. eighty-two passage is not part of the law of Moses. Right, uh, it's it's a it's a Psalm, and uh, um, he says, "So isn't it written your law? I've said your gods." Um, I don't know the exact reference of that, but uh, um, I will tell you this: uh, um, uh, the This is something that uh, – there's a cross-reference that's made to Psalm 82. But uh, um, God in that passage is talking to the Elohim. He's not talking to humans. So this is is one of the things that – one of the problems I have with some of the sayings of Christ in the Bible is that they're (laughs) a little obscure – Right. Sometimes you have to be in the context of who he was speaking to when that was written. And so right. the, the, the questions have to be asked. Is this something he said? Is this something his followers said he said? Is this something that was edited later? We don't know for sure. But we do know this, that, that the passage, he's saying, uh, if God said that we're gods, and I'm calling myself a son of God, he says, don't, don't believe me unless I do the work. He says, right. If I'm not doing the work, then basically still go ahead and stone me, but I'm doing the work. So, uh, who is he talking about in that passage? He's just making reference to, um, I think there is a relationship to the, to the sons of God, to the Elohim. But he doesn't clarify that, because it certainly contextually doesn't seem that way, unless you look at it this way, which is there are some trains of thought, some um, theological theories that believe both Ooh. Lucifer and... Jesus, in his pre-incarnate form, were both sons of God, were both Elohim. That's and right. that uh, they were both uh, one of these sons of God, uh, in, in a sense, almost brother gods. And uh, uh, so there's, there's a lot that's been written about that. Some of that, some will tell you that's that just, that just blasphemy or heresy. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know that. And I, I had a, a priest once tell me I was a heretic, and I, I said, well, I'm not Catholic, so... Uh, No, I'm not a heretic, but uh, uh, rather flippantly, tongue-in-cheek. So anyway, that verse, it does tie back to the Elohim verse in Psalm 82, but it's a different context.
1: Okay, I appreciate that clarification. And speaking of that, I want to
0: go to a I hope that was clear. Say it again? I hope that was clear.
1: (laughs) No, that was clear. Definitely appreciate you taking us through that because, again, and and it's important because, like you said, there's many – different interpretations and context of this. And that's what I like to do to present to the listeners to get that information so they could do the research on their own. Now, back to what you just said a second ago when you were talking about um, this, this concept that this character that they call Satan and one of the many titles for this, this individual and, and who they call Jesus both being in the context of sons of God. In the second chapter of Job, I find this interesting if you could elaborate on this. It it goes on to say, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them and presented himself before the Lord. And then if you read on, and I'm just going to read the next verse, and then if you could elaborate how this ties in to either these Elohim, these gods, or the Nephilim. And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. So, kind of just to confirm what you were saying, we see when the sons of God, so-called, in this in this passage were present in front of the Most High God, according to the Bible, Satan was there with them. And then this conversation takes place. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Sure. You know, this this is a passage that I always said has that same look and feel of, like, Hades walking before Zeus and before the Olympians, uh, right. gods, the, the Greek gods. It's got that same feel to it. And Job... The book of Job is actually the oldest chronological book in the Old Testament. This is, wow. uh, this is pre-Judaism. Uh, this would be uh, probably, it may even be pre-flood. I don't know for certain. Uh, but the book right. of Job is, uh, is certainly pre-Abrahamic covenant, and it's a, because uh, Judaism does not exist at this point. Right. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, Judaism didn't even exist when Abraham uh, started fathering the nation. Uh, That's right. Judaism didn't didn't exist until Moses codified it after the Exodus. So uh, now we're talking all biblical stuff, and for those of your listeners who are people of faith, you're going to recognize this stuff. For those of you who aren't, um, first of all, I don't want to uh, insult any religious sensibilities out there, or if you aren't religious, or if you're atheist or agnostic and you just don't buy any of this – You've got to look at it the way I did. Now, remember, I I grew up in this stuff, and I was in ministry. But there's a point where I said, I don't know what I believe anymore. Um, And a lot of it came after my research of a lot of these things. And so, in a sense, I I consider myself an agnostic more than anything else, just meaning I just don't have the answers. I don't know. I don't know what's for certain. And there's nothing that really requires faith to believe it, in these stories that gives you any real proof that it exists and that's the problem. Uh, so when you're called to put your faith in something that has no object other than a story in a book, uh, that's a little tough sometimes. Now in Job 2, um, I've got the New International Version of the Bible in front of me. and He says, On, on another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered to <laughs> the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Now, what's very interesting is that in the Hebrew, there's an article before the word Satan, the name Satan. Right. It, says, it says, and the Lord said to, or it says, uh, and the Satan also came and presented himself with them before them. Right. And uh, now, we don't know if this is the Elohim. If it's saying in one version that the literal translation is angels, then these are not the Elohim. The Elohim were not angels. Angels, right. there's a specific word in the Hebrew for angels, and that's and that's maloch. And right. uh, malachi is is the singular for angels. Right. Um, so if, if these are angels, then these are not the Elohim. Um, but it says Satan also came with them and divides him out from the rest of them. But it says the Satan, uh, simply meaning the accuser. Uh, he was Correct. the accuser, the one who accused. And uh, right. there's this personal conversation between he and God. Now, the he this, the Hebrews did not have a concept for Satan in all right. this works. And this is one of the older books. So you could very well say that this might be something that may have been edited. It may have been added to or there's a different understanding of it. And I don't have that in front of me right now. I've just got the new international version. So right. um, um, I haven't looked at this one in the Hebrew, uh, but uh, my, my thinking on this is that you've got Satan being used here as somebody who is set apart. He's different from the angels. The angels came, and then the Satan came as well. So it was either right. a title or it was a description of what he did. And right. uh, so this is who you've got there. Um, Satan says uh, it's very interesting. He goes God starts talking to him about Job, and, uh, um, and this is very interesting because I said this looked like the Greek gods. It almost looks like like the old scenario of the Gre- of the Greek gods playing chess or something with humans. Now the right. Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on, no one on earth like him. He's blameless right. and upright, a man who fears God, shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason, any reason. So there's something right. that's gone on before this uh, before this passage. And Satan says, skin for skin, a man right. will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he'll surely curse you to your face. Now, right. are they saying that the Satan is evil in this passage? I don't see him being called down as being evil. Uh, That's right. This this could be two of the gods looking at each other and having this conversation. Oh, I'll bet you that guy. If you just if you took away his stuff, he'll curse you. And, right. Uh, uh but it does uh, by by calling him the Satan. It's the deceiver, or I'm sorry, the accuser.
1: Right. What that means. Right. Appreciate that. And again, I can assure you, Scott, most of our listeners are not religious. Where this we we deal a little bit more with metaphysical aspect of things, agnostic, sure. like you said. Mystical, so you you won't be offending anybody. Hey, we appreciate you saying all that. All
3: right, though.
1: all right. So so we you know let it let it rip. Whatever we just want you know again the objective is whatever research you did. I like my listeners to whatever guests that I have on to take that information that they get here, and then and then you know the reality is take that information and research it for yourself. Um, so you know I appreciate that. And again, if you're just tuning in, we got a bunch of. As I see everybody here. Um, again, you're listening to Scott Allen Roberts. We're basically focused on a couple of his works. Um. We're basically focusing on the rise and fall of the philium, where, where the secret history of the uh, reptilians. He's written several other books. If you could, again, Scott, because we have a lot more people that have come in the room, you could you, again, give you a website for those that are just tuning in, where they can find your, your, your books, your information, and, and, and the type of things that you're, you're doing right now?
0: Sure. Oh, sorry about that. I hit my mute button. Um, my, uh, my website is com. And you can find that. Uh it is very easy. You gotta of course you gotta know how to spell Alan. There's like eighteen different ways to spell Allen. So it's Scott <laughs> at C O T T Allen A L A N Roberts. So Scott Allen Roberts dot com. And just about everything I do is on that website.
1: Okay. Appreciate that. Uh, and, again, in about 15 minutes, we're going to open up the the uh, chat log for questions. You can type those questions in. I see a bunch of you just listening on the Internet. We do have callers in the queue, and we're going to get to your calls. Uh, we will rotate back and forth from questions from the Internet to the to the phone lines. And, again, just to reiterate, some of you, as I just see by state, says Georgia, New York, Texas, you didn't register with a name. So when I call you out by state, if you can just speak, and if I you'll be the only one that will be able to to uh, to be heard so you can ask your question. Um, I do encourage people to register. It's easy to identify you if you're on the queue call, but that's how we'll do this. Okay, and then another quote I wanted to go to, uh, Scott, and I want to kind of establish and talk a little bit about in your book. You talk about the bloodline of the nephelium. This is very important. And kind of, I know we can't do this in one sit-down, but kind of tied up into today. Um, Sure. one one, One quote I wanted to get into real quick. Um, Before we do that, there was one other quote I wanted to add to what we were just discussing. There's another interesting quote in the very first chapter of Genesis, and if you could elaborate on this. Um, If you go into the first chapter of Genesis, the 26th verse, um, and again, I'm just going to skip down. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the feet, over the fish, over the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle. And then I'm going to skip down to 28. Um, It says, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. If I'm correct, the Hebrew word, I believe, is more laid to refill. Um, If I'm wrong, correct me on that. Now, the reason why I bring this up, this is a situation here in the book of Genesis again, and that's why I brought the Job quote up. We see this. If you're looking at it from a monotheistic perspective, we see this being God having a conversation again with a group of beings. He's speaking to a, a host of beings here. He's having a conversation about this incident taking place in creation. And the other thing I wanted to point out, if you can elaborate on, we see the word replenish being used here. Now, is this Genesis story? Obviously, our, our earth. Has been, you know, hit by meteorites. There's been many replenishing periods. Some people are under the illusion when they read the Book of Genesis, for lack of a better word, that this is actually the beginning, beginning of creation. Can you kind of elaborate on that verse? What, who is this God talking to in this verse? And what point of our evolution or our creational period are we discussing here in the first book of Je- chapter of Genesis?
0: All right, well, first of all, you've got, uh, we're talking about this plurality where God says, let us make man in our own image. Now, there have been some, uh, in theological circles, that the only way they can explain this plurality is to hail back to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But, of course, much to their chagrin, the Hebrews did not recognize the Trinity.
2: That's right. They did not
0: have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, as a matter of fact, they were looking forward to the Messiah. They didn't know He had come. Christians have that uncanny ability to extrapolate Christian Christian principle and put it back into pre-Christian era. Um, so, first of all, it's not speaking of the Trinity. Um, right. It is a plurality because the term there in the Hebrew, it's God is the term is Elohim, and uh, so God is saying, "Let us make man in our image." Now, this is very much like the story of the Anunnaki, um, who, if you go back a couple of thousand years prior to the time that uh, the book of Genesis would have been written, you're in the um, Sumerian culture, the Mesopotamian culture, the, the Anunnaki culture. And right. uh, they uh, they had written in their cuneiform tablets about the Anunnaki, that it was Elil, the chief god, Enlil, he's also known as, that Elil came to... His brother god, Enki, he was also known as right. Ea, and uh, he said to Enki Ea, he said, uh, let us make man, make primeval man, so that they may do our work for us. Right. And uh, they can dig our trenches, our canals, uh, mine our resources, till our ground, and so on. And so Enki then uh, got together with his consort, and I can't think of her, pronounce her name off the top of my head, starts with a B. beat. Right. But uh, they made primeval man. And right. uh, um, later in the cuneiform in the text, you've got the, uh, the tale of Atrahasis, who was the human king who called out to his patron god, Enki, and, and said, deliver us from this bondage to the gods. And so Enki-ia, he came to uh, Atrahasis. It said he bent his ear to his servant and heard his plight. Sounds very biblical. And they came. He came down with his mighty men of valor. He came up actually out of the great Abzu, the underground sea, and he came up into the marshes around the city of Eridu, which which uh, was a literal city uh, that right. stood on the backwaters of the of the Euphrates River in what is now Iraq. And, right. And uh, Enki Ea he came to uh, what was known as the Serpent's Marsh, uh, right. the marshes that were surrounding and. Uh, Uh, It also became known as Yazden, and so he came up with his mighty men of valor, and they gave the forbidden knowledge of the gods to the humans through Atrahasis the king, helped them rebel against Elil, the chief god, and they won their freedom. And for his participation in this, uh, Enki and his followers were all condemned to the subterranean caverns of the earth to dwell forever. It's right. very interesting that this, uh, this, this marsh that he had come up in, the Serpent's Marsh, was also known as Iazden. And you, if you don't already know this information, you'll know exactly where I'm going with this, because Iazden was also known as, it was shortened to Iaden, or Eden as it was brought into the Old Testament book of Genesis. Right. And uh, uh, what's interesting about this is about 1,500 to 2,000 years after these stories were written, in the in the uh, Anunnaki culture, uh, the ancient Mesopotamians, it was borrowed when it was brought into the Genesis account, because right. you've got Elil through the transmission the, the, of language, the transmission of ideas over that fifteen hundred to two thousand years as they came from the Euphrates River um, area down into the Canaanite area, and they brought with them Elil, who was his name was shortened to El. And we've already talked about El. El was the Canaanite word for God, which the Hebrews or the Israelites picked up. And used. Right. El was El Elohim and so on.
3: Uh, right. Enki,
0: known as Iyah, uh the same transmission of data uh, and religion and the movement of mankind down into the Canaanite region. Enki Iyah became known as Yahweh, which right. is the Hebrew word for Jehovah. And uh, so you've got those two similarities, and then you've got, of course, Eden coming from Ia's den. and you've got uh, uh, the humans who were made by God. El- Elohim created humans, and he right. said, let us make them in our image. So they, and it says he placed them in the garden so that they could keep the garden, till the garden, and keep it for him. Same right. as that as the, the tasks that were given to the humans under Elil and Enki. And uh, also, um, when humans rebelled, you've got uh, not somebody coming down and, and giving the, strictly the forbidden knowledge of the gods, but you have the serpent character. Now, the serpent character never in the Genesis passages he called Satan, the devil, right. Lucifer. Right. Those words never appear there. What appears there is is the Hebrew word nakosh. And nakosh, the servant character, nakosh just simply means the bringer of knowledge, the illuminator, the bringer (laughs) of mischief or chaos. Now, by (laughs) the way, mischief and chaos simply did not have evil connotations. They were neutral words in Hebrew. It just meant, it's like if you... uh, if you stuck your uh, a stick in a, in a pond and stirring it and started, stirred the mud up, you were creating chaos in the mud That's uh, right. or in the, in the water. So he was right. the bringer of chaos. Um, he was also known as the bright shining one. As a matter of fact, right. his name, Nakosh, later in the Old Testament, in the book of uh, Exodus, Moses used the same word. When, remember when the people were complaining after the Exodus and the vipers all came out and bit them and they were dying and getting sick? And so what did right. Moses do? He he made a bronze serpent, cast it, and raised it on a pole. And all the people had to do was look to the bronze serpent to be healed. Right. But it got bit by a serpent. Well, the word for that bronze serpent was the nakashte. So you've right. got nakosh in the Old Testament, is the serpent's character. And you've got the nakashte, which is the serpent, the bronze bright shining serpent character. Now, if you keep those words bright-shining in mind about Nakosh and Nakoshta, you go back to Psalm 82. They were the bright-shining princes of heaven. And uh, so it's some very interesting correlations there. And uh, so I believe what you've got in this passage in Genesis, you've got Elohim, God, is the word there, speaking to the rest of the Elohim. And this was a, if you will, the the old testament does not teach monotheism it that's teaches, right. it i believe that there was a cast of hebrew gods that's been a bit obscured over the years that's and right there's also another verse two chapters down in uh, genesis 323 where the same verbiage is used remember uh, um uh nakosh it says he tempts eve which in the hebrew just meant he 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 uh, he led her he led her away he gave her something she fell astray he tempted her it's all coded language it's neutral words in That's the Hebrew right. but they are all words that are also used for sexual practice That's so right. whether the story of Adam and Eve is literal or if it's allegorical or if it's completely myth the story is telling you in an encoded fashion that the whole eating of the forbidden fruit and the fall of man had very little to do with eating fruit. It had to do with what I believe was sexual intercourse between the. Right. and Eve. That's right. And then Eve, it says, took this gift to Adam and gave it to him, and he also ate of it. Um, That's right. I believe she, she, and then soon afterwards, she conceived sons. Um, and if you look at every other creation myth out there, the first family of creation myths and different cultural stories, the first family always had multiple births, either twins, uh, triplets, quadruplets, or it was the daughter of the first couple that had a multiple birth. I think Cain and Abel are no different. Does, the Bible does not say they were one older than the other. It says that she bore Cain. She conceived and bore Cain. She conceived and bore Abel. That's and right. I believe, I believe the Bible bears out that Cain was the son of Nakosh and Eve, while. Abel was the son of Adam and Eve. She was as right. twins, and one of them was not completely human. One was a crossover, <laughs> if you will, between Elohim and human. Now, That's right. I was taken to task by some critics uh, uh, who just like to criticize your work because of what you write about. Right. And I took the time to talk with them, and they said, Do you real? Oh, so you're, uh, you're uh, uh, a white supremacist. I said, well, no, I'm not. And I said, I know what you're getting at with that. Because the, they said, well, you're teaching something that if Cain uh, uh, was, uh, was not pure human, then you're teaching a Christian Identity Movement, which was out in the, the early 1920s. Right. And uh, it's a white supremacist group that taught that basically Cain uh, was the father of the Jews. And so he brought evil to the world through the Jewish nation. Right. Um, and I said, well, that's not at all what I'm teaching. I said, I'm not even teaching anything. I said, I'm presenting you different theories. And one of those theories states this, that Cain was the son of Nakosh and Eve. But what does the Bible tell you happened to Cain? It said, he went on and his line proliferated and he created the Jews? I said, no, it doesn't. It says that that everybody except the family of Noah died in the flood. I said, this right. would have ended the line of Cain, the Canaanites. Right. That's and right, and I said if if Cain fathered the Jews, well, they all died out of the flood, then where'd the Jews go? Uh, I said, that's not it at all. I said, uh, um, what you do have after this though here's here's the progression of this whole lineage thing, and this is very interesting when you start stepping back from the Old Testament, and looking at the bigger picture right. it says that 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 Eve gave birth to Cain and Abel Cain knocks off Abel because he doesn't like the fact that his sacrifice isn't being accepted. Um, God comes to him and has this lengthy conversation with Cain, going back and forth. He he actually, before Cain murders Abel, God has a conversation with him and says, beware, sin is lying at the door like a roaring lion. You know, don't (laughs) give in to it. Well, then Cain murders Abel, and God comes to him and he says, says, where's your brother Abel? Then the famous, you know, answer question, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, your, your brother's blood screams out to me from the ground. What is this thing you've done? Right. I'm going to mark you. He marks him so no man can kill him. Uh, as he, he kicks him out of the garden, says, you've got to go, and I'm going to mark you. So no, and, and, and what did uh, Cain say in response to that? He said, well, if men find me, won't they kill me for what I've done? And uh, God right. said, I'll put a mark on you so they won't. Well, there's right. a lot of questions that get raised in this. And so it says, right. it says uh, Cain uh, left Eden, went east to the land of Nod, and there he took a wife, and he built a city, the city of Uruk. And right. uh, um, so now here's all the questions that come up in this passage. First of all, the Bible is supposed to be, we're taught that the language is explicit. Now, right. so far, at the time of Cain and Abel and that story... I see that there are four people on the planet, according to the scripture. Eve's first first son was Cain. Second born was Abel. Even with twins, you can have a first and second born, just like Jacob and Esau in in the story uh, further down the line. So those are the first two sons. And it's interesting that I've I've heard the explanation given, well, you don't know, they lived hundreds of years back then. It could have been several generations (laughs) have gone by. And there could be thousands of people now that are all extended family. And I said, but wait, then what do you do with the verse that says that Eve bore a third son after the death of Abel, and it says, and Eve conceived and bore a third son, Seth. Right. She named him Seth, and it's almost bittersweet because she says, and the Lord has given me a man-child to replace my lost son, Abel. Now, if she had right. all kinds of other kids were they all girls up to right. that point? And she didn't have any other sons? Uh, because this <laughs> is her third son and her third child implicitly in the passage. So, <clears throat> the question has to be asked. Um, where did Cain get his wife? I and mean, that's, that's an interesting question. For whom did he build a city? The city of Uruk. Um right. Unless a lot of time has elapsed and he had lots of kids and he built a city for all his kids. Who knows? Now, other very interesting questions arose to me as I looked at this passage. You've got God warning Cain to not to not give into sin the temptation to kill his brother. Then you see God afterwards having this lengthy conversation with Cain about what he did, and I'm going to mark you, so no man kills you. but here we've got Abel, on the other hand, who's supposed to be the godly kid, the one who gave right. the right sacrifice. We have that's no right. recorded passage saying that God said anything I mean, to him. If God's telling Cain, don't give in to temptation, why isn't he saying to Abel, hey, Abel, your brother's going to whack you. Watch out for him. Yeah. Uh, we don't see that recorded. Now, if it happened in the, in the story, we're not told about it. Uh, but that's we're right. only told about a conversation between Elohim and Cain. Now, right. my theory is this. I believe that's because Cain was different than Abel, I believe Cain was the first of the intermingled bloodlines, the first of the Nephilim.
3: That's where
0: I wanted to go. Yes, yeah. because he was fathered by one of the Bene Ha Elohim, Nahash, right. one of the Elohim, right. fathered him. And, and when you get to the Nephilim passage in Genesis six, you've got the Bene Ha Elohim. Uh, came down and impregnated human women. And and what's very interesting about that passage, by the way, is that that passage is actually the preamble to the flood story. It's like the introduction to the flood story. That's right.
2: That's right. Because
0: r- right after that Nephilim passage in Genesis 6, it says, and now man's life will be 120 years, and so on. And then it goes into But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so on. It goes right into the passage. Now, it's very right. interesting that most cultures, there's over 600 different cultural, tribal, and religious tales out there from antiquity of major floods. But connected to all of these floods are some kind of judgment on the earth, generally a flood that's being brought down to punish or to eradicate an evil seed that was created by an intermingling. And so I think you've got no difference in the Genesis story. You've got uh, the descendants of Cain while Cain was one of the Nephilim. His descendants spread out through the earth. And remember where it says in, in the flood story, what, what were we taught, if any of you went to Sunday school, we were taught, well, it's because uh, God brought the flood because of the wickedness of mankind. That's right. And, uh, but what's very interesting is in the passage, in the Hebrew, it's more implicit that it's the wickedness brought to mankind, the wickedness right. that corrupted mankind. And that is being said to be the offspring of um, of the sons of God and human women, the Nephilim. And uh, now what's very interesting also as well, also as well, there you go, how's that for repetitive redundancy? Um, when you look at the passage of the fall of man in Genesis 3, you've got Elohim says this right after the fall, uh, which is related to the eating of the forbidden fruit, which I think is nothing of the sort. I think it was a coded, uh, coded story to uh, That's right. uh, about the, uh, uh, the intermingling of uh, Nakosh with Eve. Um, it was a sexual act, but it's very interesting that as soon as this happens, poof, they're naked. And the Bible says they're naked, and God came down and looking for, and God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day and called out for Adam, Adam, and he doesn't right. answer. He calls, yeah, Adam, where are you? And he says, we're hiding. And God right. says, well, why are you hiding? Right And Adam says, well, because we were naked. And God right. said, who told you you were naked? So this whole progression starts, there's one thing that gets pointed out, is suddenly nakedness becomes very important, and suddenly there's a whole prohibition of sexual sins that come into the picture.
3: Uh, right.
0: As, as as this goes on into the uh, pre-Hebraic culture. And Correct. Uh, what's very interesting here is that if Eve fathered, Cain, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Nakosh fathered Cain, and he's now off somewhere. Um, Eve has a third son, Seth, as we mentioned, and they start tracing the line of Seth, the firstborn of of every man, and as they start uh, chronicling the people, you go to the book of Chronicles in the Old Testament, and you're going to find, or in the book of Numbers, you're going to find like 13 chapters dedicated to An Lamech lay with Sarah, and Sarah begat him two sons, and his eldest son was, was Jahab, and Jahab lay with two women and bore four sons, and his eldest was... And you get the, all these chronologies. goes right. chapter chapter after chapter. I think there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is this. After the fall, God comes down, catches them all, Nakosh, Eve, Adam, and he says, he says to, to uh, the serpent... He utters what is considered to be by all rabbinic schools and, and evangelical and Christian schools, orthodox schools, to be the first utterance of a messianic prophecy. The prophecy of a coming Messiah was prophesied in the Garden of Eden. And this right. is when, when uh, God looks at the serpent and he says, he says, he curses the serpent, and then he says, uh, um, and you, there will be a day when you will bite his heel, but he will return and crush your head. This is considered yep. to be a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Now, in the Hebrew sense, or the or the, the, the the Jewish sense, eventually, but in the Israelite sense, the Canaanite sense, uh, this whole idea of this uh, Messiah meant kinsman redeemer, the one who would be one of us redeemer. Now, if you've ever gone into church, like on Christmas or Easter, uh, Jesus died, and he was one of us. I mean, this is the right. same concept. Come down. Uh, But the one of us, the one of us Redeemer, the one who would be from among us. And then you notice this throughout the rest of the passage. He says to, to Adam and Eve, to all three of them, actually, God says, And there will be enmity or constant conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. That's right. Meaning the seed will be at conflict with each other. And then as you go through the Old Testament now, I believe that this whole concept of Messiah was piggybacked on the idea that there was a mixed race and that there was a pure-blooded human race and there was a mixed human race. And this has been criticized. Oh, you're saying that there are no pure humans? Um, And I said, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there was a mixture of the humans with the Elohim, and that was in Cain's bloodline. And where you've got all through the Old Testament where it keeps stating the fact that the Messiah must be one of us he must come from us. He must come from the line of Adam. He must come from the line of Abraham. He must come from the line of Noah. He must come from, the, eventually, the line of David. Uh, it, was, it was made in the New Testament. They, they added that little feature in, that he must sprout from the root of Jesse, uh, the father of David, the king. And right. so you've got all this lineage, and when there's so much talk about the pure bloodline, and the Messiah must come from the pure bloodline, it's obviating the fact that there is something opposite that. If it has to come from the pure, how can it not come from the pure if that's all that exists? So it means there's something else. There's the impure. And this is where I believe the, the, the bloodline of Cain came in. And when you get to Noah, what does it say about Noah? It says he was a righteous man, and it says, and he was pure in all his generations.
1: That's right, genealogy. That's right.
0: His genealogy all the way back to Adam. But here's what's interesting. The, the genealogies in the Jewish sense, and now they weren't Jews back then, remember, but it, but it's written in the Jewish books. Uh, in the Jewish understanding, he was the firstborn male that carried the lineage. Now right. you've got from David back to Noah. Then you've got from Noah in, the, in the, the flood story, it takes Noah's lineage back to Adam. But they follow the bloodline, not through the firstborn son, who was... Who was the firstborn son of Adam? Cain. Well, Cain. why didn't they use Cain? Why That's didn't they right. carry the life through Cain? They carried it through Seth, the thirdborn. Right. Why? Because Seth was of pure human blood, while Cain was of the mixed blood of the humans and the Nephilim. That's right. And by the way, the Jews descended from sons of Noah. And if Noah could trace his lineage back through Seth to Adam, they were pure human. There's nobody on this side of this microphone that's saying that it's anything like Christian identity movement or white supremacy, because it's not. It's correcting saying that Jews, that everybody that exists today, according to that story, came from the sons of Noah, who were okay. all of the pure human blood. Cain, his line ended at the flood, supposedly, until you read that verse that says, during the flood, and it says in the, the Nephilim verses, and the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward— and then you have right. the remnants of the Nephilim throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous examples is Goliath, you know, the story of David and Goliath. And uh, there's a whole lot more to that story, too, and it's not so, not so much pertinent other than to make the comparison. Um, there's a lot of information in that story. But uh, right. Goliath would have measured, if you take a cubit, it says he was six cubits in a span. So it was roughly nine to nine and a half feet tall. Um, right. not some big, massive giant. Um, That's right. So it's very interesting, and and since Nephilim ha- does not mean giant, it's interesting that it shows Goliath as being a giant nine nine foot plus tall, and then, but something most people don't know is it says Goliath had three brothers from Gath,
2: right. and they
0: were all of the they were all remnants of the Nephilim. It said, and right. David when he kills Goliath. What does it say he does in that story? It says he takes Goliath's sword. Well, first he hits him with the sling in the forehead. I think he knocks, Correct. It knocks him senseless. Because he takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head from his body. And it says, and David took Goliath's head and sword with him to Jerusalem, which is a very interesting verse because David didn't go to Jerusalem for another 13 years when he became king. <laughs> so, uh, so you know he had that head probably... In Think Middle Eastern Monarch. Think of Middle Eastern mentality nowadays. Think of it unchecked with what we would consider to be modern civilization. Uh, David right. was a, a Middle Eastern Monarch. He probably put that head on a pole, and, uh, and that was one of his, his banners. You know, David's the giant killer, and uh, he right. had the sword. Uh, but so, so it's an interesting story there. But then what we don't hear all the time is that David, during that 13 years before he becomes king, He goes around with his mighty men of Val, and they hunt down the three brothers of Goliath and kill them all. That's right. uh, So, it's a very interesting story. But uh, I don't know if they just killed them just because they were Nephilim. It doesn't give us a reason. But there it is. So, there's some very interesting stuff about all this stuff. Okay.
1: Appreciate that. That was very very thorough. So, we're talking about the long answer. Yes, no, no, hey, that's what we need. We're trying to get to the to the, to the the core of this. And I'm glad you pointed out, and before we move on, I'm going to take some questions and calls for you now, because people are waiting, and they're, they're, they're popping in questions like crazy. Um, it says, you, I'm glad you pointed out that quote in Genesis three sixteen with the seed of Nakash, because it does use the word seed there, and I think people misinterpret yes. that. It says, I will put enmity between the woman's seed and Nakash's seed, the serpent's seed. It says right. it right there. So it there, I get de- yeah, it's right there. So you definitely – it's talking about bloodlines. Now, last question I wanted to ask you, and then we're going to go right to the phones. And, again, you're listening to Scott Allen Roberts. I know a bunch of have uh, been coming in over the last 15, 20 minutes. Uh, we're going to go to the phone first, and then we will go to the Internet. So last question, and then we're going to take our first caller. All right. um, when when Cain fled to Nod, and you talked about this, was this the seed of Nicos? Because it says he was afraid. Because remember, the story is recorded that there was a so-called mark putting on his forehead, yes. and, he, and he said he feared going to not because of those who might find him and kill him. Now, the question was, like you right. said earlier, at this point in the story, it's just Adam and Eve supposedly and Cain and Abel. So who was Cain fearing would kill him if, according to the Bible at that time, there was nobody on the planet?
0: Well, that is the big question, isn't it? And there's not a really good answer for it because none of us was there. But I will tell you this, by the language that's written there, uh, if if Adam, Eve, and Cain were the only people left on the planet after he murdered Abel, um, and it seems to indicate that in the passage, because, again, we were taught in systematic theology, we were taught in Bible history that words and language mean something. If there were more children, it sh- it would have been implicit in the passage. That, that's right. You know, you've even got the story of Jacob, you know, who became Israel and fathered the twelve sons who became the leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel. You've got Jacob that's holding out uh, for his his I think it was his cousin uh, Rebecca. Uh, well, he gets he gets Leah and then then gets Rachel, Rachel, Rachel and Leah, I think that is. Boy, am I rusty on that story! Um, but uh, it's very implicit when it's giving us that story, and it's talking about uh, you know who these were, who the relationships were, and you know you get up to Jesus. They're talking about Jesus and his cousin John the Baptist, but you don't find any of that in the in the Genesis story. Um, you Correct. don't find that there were other relations, that there were other people, and if that is the case, that would have been implicitly stated in
2: Correct.
0: the language to say. You know, and Cain uh, was afraid of his brothers and sisters and cousins that they might kill him. Correct. And uh, um, so it says he took off, and he married another woman. Now, there are, there's a theory. The theory is just simply this. And uh, um, this is more a hypothesis because there's no way to really examine it. But there is so much ancient culture, especially now that you're finding uh, things like Gobekli Tepe, um, right. Uh, you're finding uh, uh, there's there's another site in in northeastern Turkey that's they're now finding is even older than Göbekli Tepe. Um, and Göbekli Tepe, for those who don't know, it's that series of circular structures that look a lot very Stonehenge-y, uh, but they've got animals carved on them. Some are unidentifiable animals, or something that kind of looks like a dog, but it's not a dog because it's got this feature and that feature. Um, It's got uh, the big monoliths, but it was a series of these round structures that were all meticulously buried by whoever made them. And we have no idea why they did it, and it's very obvious that they were buried deliberately. And uh, um, there's, I think, 10 of them they found, but there's so much of that place they haven't even excavated yet. And what's interesting is that it dates back about 17 – I'm sorry, not 17 – about twelve thousand years, right. and when you're looking at twelve thousand years old, uh, and then you've got your young Earth creationist theorists who uh, who think that the Earth is only six to seven thousand years old because of the biblical chronology. Well, what do you do with that? Now, right. What do you do with that? Uh, well, obvious, it's a lie of Satan. See, uh, which is not Nakash. Uh, Correct. I'm being, being flippant, of course, there. But you've got these discoveries being made of these old places that. Tell you that there was civilization a lot farther back than we thought there was, and there That's are right. some theories that state you mentioned the the that they should replenish the earth. Uh, Adam and Eve was one of the commands given to them. Well, replenish right. it from what? Um, <laughs> now, now you know in in uh, and I'm not well versed in my Hindu theology, uh, the Vishnu and all those things, but there is something about the ages. That us say that every, every so many thousands of years, there is a new age that begins. Correct. Um, and it's, it's kind of like the Tolkien legends that talk about the age of man, the age of the dwarves, the age of the elves, and so on. It's that kind of a thing that has gone on. And that uh, and I, I had a seminary professor that actually taught off the record. He believed that in what he called the gap theory between right. Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-1 reads, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period. Genesis 1-2 reads, and the earth was without form and void, or in the Hebrew rendered without form and void. And right. darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and so on. So what you're looking at there is not, as some theologians would say, and some of my professors said, well, that's just stating the fact and then going back and recapping the fact. God created right. the heavens and the earth. Boom, now here's how he did it. When the language is more, the two events are implicit. They're, 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 I'm sorry, not implicit. They're, they're, they're uh, separate from each other. And so there's a gap there of how long we don't know. But this professor taught me, his name is Dr. Bernard Northrup, and he said, well, Genesis 1 1 was a perfect creation. And then it was rendered null and void. And God started it over again. The creation story. And now there's no way to prove that again. Now, other than all the things that you seem to find that would date things in the Bible, you're now finding discoveries that are much older than those dates. And uh, that makes it very, very interesting. So Christ. there's a lot to look at. And, and uh, Cain, when he went uh, to uh, uh, east to the land of Nod, um, he left the, the area of, uh, of, of the region of Eden, and uh, which I believe you can still go there. You can find where, I believe you can find on a map where Eden was very easily. Um, now, because there was a, uh, the great flood came in between, um, who knows how the river courses have changed and so on. But the Bible tells us that Eden sat between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, which is where you've got Iran and Iraq today, um, is in that region, that it lay between those two rivers, and it also... Lay between on the north and the south, or the kind of north northwest and southeast. It had the Gihon, I think it was, and the Pichon uh, rivers. And there was kind of this square of rivers that Eden was in the midst of all of that. Well, all those rivers are still there today. Correct. And you can look at satellite imagery and even find where the old flow of the rivers existed. You can find Correct. that in the satellite imagery. And uh, the region hasn't changed an awful lot in. They think geologically, tens of thousands of years. So, correct. What's interesting is that if Eden lay in that location, you get pretty darn close to where the region would have been. And then he right. went east to the land of Nod, which would have brought brought him over into uh, uh, Iran, what is now Iran. Right. I think, am right? And correct. Uh, or no, that that was Iraq. And uh, and he built Uruk, the city of. Uh, it said he named the city Enoch which was dedicated to his firstborn son. And Enoch, by linguistics, don't even ask how it works, the, N, or the, 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 the E turns to a U, uh, the N turns to an R um, in the old linguistics. And so really what it is, and there were no Ns and Rs, just in our pronunciations of them. So uh, Enoch was the same word as Uruk, which is the same word as Iraq. And that was the first city built by Cain.
1: Okay. Appreciate that, Scott. All right, we're going to go to the phones now. I think people have got a gist of what we're talking about. Uh, so let's go to our first caller. We got Brother Asarghidi from Tampa, Florida. you on the phone, Brother. Brother sorry, are you there? Can you hear me? Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, go ahead. You're on
1: the call with Scott Robbins. We can hear you now. Go ahead.
0: Okay, I just have a question. Information. Excuse me, Mr. Roberts? Yes, sir. How you doing?
1: All right. I just had a question about what's the relation between uh, the re- reptilians and the blood sacrifices in the
0: Bible? Between the reptilians and blood sacrifices? I don't know of any comparison between the two. I don't know of any correlation. Uh, because all you've really got – now. now, here's where it gets a little tricky for me – is I wrote about the Nephilim, I wrote about the Reptilians, but I couldn't tell you for 100% certain if either of them really exist. That's the problem with all of this. It's like looking at religion and looking at faith stories and saying, this is the absolute truth. It's, I mean, if I were to ask you or any of our listeners tonight, um, do you believe in God of the Bible? Many of them, as, as uh, uh, Michael was indicating, might not. Uh, but you know what that 's a story that 's there why don 't you believe it well it 's because it 's a faith story um, and I think the same thing with the reptilians with the Nephilim. there is so little empirical evidence to prove that they ever really existed other than stories there are stories i the The book I wrote on the reptilians is subtitled the uh, i 'm sorry the the uh, uh, it's called The Secret History of the Reptilians, and it's uh, – it, damn me if I can't remember my own subtitle. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's something about the reptilian uh, pervasive presence of the serpent throughout human history, religion, and alien mythos. Now, here's the problem. Is, that, is it mythology or is it real? We don't know for sure. Now, correlating what is legend and mythology to the blood sacrifices in, in, in the Old Testament – all we can do is speculate. So there's probably a ton of speculative stories, speculative connections. Um, because what you've got in the blood sacrifice, for some reason, um, the founders... <coughs> excuse me, I didn't hit my mute button, my cough button fast enough. Um, the, the, the founders of Judaism, uh, the Hebraic culture that first wrote these things down, they required blood in the sacrifice. And there always had to be the shedding of blood. And it's like in the, the verse that says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Well, what makes the shedding of blood impart uh, a spiritual act of redemption or atonement or propitiation? None of us knows. And we're just told it does that. So in the same vein, I'm going to say this. We don't know the reptilians even existed. If they did, um, there are some legends Behind them, about the blood and about the bloodlines, but um, and you start getting into Merovingian stuff and all of that, but uh, which is much later, uh, much later explanation for all of this. You start getting into the devil, you start getting into Satan, you start getting into Nakash again, uh, but all these explanations, none of us, none of them, really tell us if there's any correlation between reptilians and blood sacrifice. Although I've heard this before. Um, And I hear somebody talk about it, and my first question is going to be, what's your source on that? Where do you get your source material? Not to be skeptical, but to say, if you're going to tell me that and it sounds fascinating, please tell me where you get your material so I know how you came to that conclusion. And this this is something we all need to do more on all of these topics is we need to ask the questions and find out. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying, how do we know they existed when we have no real proof? So that's all we have to go on. I I, I hope that answers your question without really answering it at all. (laughs) Does that answer your
1: question, brother? Sorry.
0: Yes, makes a lot of sense. Thank you, thank you, Mister. All right, you're welcome. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it. Sorry. I'll bring you back in. Um let's close online. Uh this 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 person been typing this question. This is and I'm going and again the online question, Scott, I'm gonna read it to you as it's typed in. So just keep in mind right. I'm reading to you what's typed into me.
2: So okay. this is not
1: me asking this. Uh and this this question is, and just so you know, again, people coming in, you're listening to Scott Allen Roberts. Uh we got people on right now from Florida, Texas, Georgia, Chicago, we have overseas the Caribbean. We have some uh, actually listeners on from London and Paris right now, too. Uh, they're online listening. Uh, so here's some questions from online. Um, this this individual types in, who is speaking or who is telling the story of Genesis? Because it appears that this story is being told from beneath the waters as, as if this individual is looking up. And I think you're referring to And if I'm wrong, online listener, type in if I'm interpreting your question wrong, please. I'm just relating it as I'm reading it. Um, so I guess they're saying, is this maybe some type of reptilian being beneath the water narrating this story? Who's narrating this Genesis creation story is the question.
0: My initial reaction would be, no. And no no. offense to the question asker, or to the person asking the question, is that there is nothing in that passage that indicates anything like that. There's nothing in the original language that indicates anything like that. There's nothing that even indicates there's a narrator. It's right. almost like it is third-person omniscient. Meaning, uh, obviously, meaning there is no, there, there is no one person telling the story. That's right. Uh, it's listing the facts, is what it's doing. Is if I, you know, you know, think of a book you've read in the third pres- the third person omniscient, uh, right. Where it, it it knows everybody's thoughts, it knows everybody's minds, it knows every action, it knows everything that's going on, and uh, that's the way this passage is written. And uh, there is uh, the only time you see anything, any kind of personal pronouns used like I or me or, or something like that. So when it says, and God said, I will will let us create man in our image.
3: That's not the only
0: time it breaks from that third person omniscient mode. So no. uh, And, and I will tell you this, this is a danger. And, and um, this is something I see over and over and over again, is that we all have our, and, 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 don't take any offense at this. Hear me out on this. We all have our pet theories or things Correct. that we want to believe about something. Correct. And I used this illustration in the book when I was actually writing about the reptilians. I I said I was reminded of back when I was in seminary. There was um, the director of Baptist Midmissions. It was a Baptist church mission uh, mission organization that sent missionaries out into the into the wild. And he came and spoke to our church, and he told a story that had happened to him, somebody he knew when he was a much younger man. And uh, uh, they had set up a medical mission station out in the bush, and I don't remember the country, but it was very remote. And uh, um, the people were getting sick, and they had a medical mission station. And uh, um, so the doctor found himself at odds with the witch doctor. And very respectfully, he tried. He brought the witch doctor, and he said, "I want you to." He showed him the microscopes. He said, "Now, this is what you don't know. There are germs. there are on a, on a uh, microscopic level." He tried to explain that to him. and He showed the witch doctor, and so he said, "It's not really a thing of." And this is where I think he insulted him. It's not really a thing of magic. It's a thing of we've we've learned that these are. This is bacteria that causes this. And okay, right. so uh, that night the medical mission station is broken into. And all of the microscopes are stolen and smashed out on the street in front of the mission station. Now, this is a true story, by the way. And uh, the word got back that it was the witch doctor and his men that had come in and done this. So the doctor goes to confront him. And he says, did you break into my mission station and smash my expensive microscopes? And he said all the witch doctor did was he looked at him and he smiled kind of wryly and he said, now there are no more germs. (laughs) Now... This is what I think we do with a lot of these theories. You start to look at them in the microscope, and they don't always hold water. We start right. to see something that it's, it really is or really isn't. And many times we're, we'd prefer smashing the microscope than accepting what we find. And I think right. one of the things we find about this whole, all this reptilian stuff is that we can theorize all we want, but keep in mind history and events – are not predicated on how we feel or how we think or what we think we've either grabbed intuitionally or, you know, i channeled this through somebody. It's like, that's great. But that's for you then because nobody else is going to know that.
1: Nobody else is going to have that
0: experience. I even said I used to want to speak about Moses and the burning bush. I'd say we've accepted in Christianity and, and Judaism that that story is true. But keep in mind, Moses was the only guy there. He's the only guy who was there, experienced it, saw it, and wrote it down. That's but right. we're supposed to believe it. Um, and I said, how can we believe that when we have no proof that it happened? So I think Correct. this is the danger with this kind of stuff, to say that perhaps there was a, a reptilian presence looking up from under the water. I don't think there's anything there that really gives it. Now, somebody may have theorized that. Correct. It's just a notion. It's a notion. It's an idea. There's, there's not even any solid evidence or, or solid information, let's put it that way, to base a theory of that on because there's nothing linguistically that could support it.
1: Gotcha. I appreciate that. And, again, that's the purpose of of the show, you know, wake Awakening Universal Minds. We we want to stimulate your consciousness. Again, go research this stuff. And, and And that's the important thing. We're not, you know, saying to believe or accept anything that we're saying. We want you to, you know, go ahead and look into these things. You know, and raise yourself up to that realization. And, and right,
0: le, le, let me say, too, that you, you can have an experience that is your personal experience, and it is not right. my place to discount it. You Correct. might have information that's given to you, but I will tell you this. How is that then to be disseminated to the masses? If, that's it's, very fruit, if it's truth and fact, there needs to be a way to verify it, to establish that's it. Right. If it was just right. me, Scotty Roberts, I had a vision by staring into my cold water <laughs> faucet last night. And that's I right. was told that this is the origins of us. Listen to me. Hear my words. Believe me. Exactly. Uh, but that's not going to prove anything to you. So, I agree. Keep in mind, if it's something that is of universal truth, it's going to come to, you, to, some, to more than just one person in a vision, a dream, a channeling, or something like that, there's sure. going to be a way to substantiate this, the, the account.
1: I agree, 100%. A good point, excellent point. All right, let's go back to the phone. We're going to rotate, and I hope uh, Jay Stone, that answers your question, online question. Um, now we're going to go to, back to the phone, and we got, I believe, Northwest New York, Buffalo, New York. Uh, you're on the call. Can you hear me?
4: Uh, yes, I can. Hi, I'm Chalene. Um I want to ask... Chalene? How are you doing? What's going on? I want to ask you, sir, do uh, you think that the Bible today is being used to um, create the demise that's going on as far as the uh, cloaking the sky, which is considered the blackening of the sun, cloaking with the clouds, uh, the manipulation of the food, um, uh, the... Uh, panic of, oh, uh, God's going to come down and destroy everybody, but actuality, the wars and everything is being caused by shadow government? Um, do you think the manipulation of these religions are being used to recreate things, uh, like the holographic uh, Jesus that they want to, you know, uh, put in the sky so everyone can bow down and and hopefully submit to whatever whatever they decide they want to do?
0: Well, uh, in short, maybe. (laughs) Uh, uh, Maybe. Um, It's funny, we just had this conversation today. I I do a radio show on Sunday nights, the Intrepid uh, Radio Program, with uh, Dr. John Ward, and uh, we cover lots of different topics, but uh, on Thursdays in the afternoon during drive time, we do a show called The Situation Room, Uh, with John and Rocky Stucci and I. And we talked about almost this very thing today. Um, John's been working on a book called The Hidden Hand for a number of years, uh, putting together the research, and just this last year he's been writing it down. Um, And uh, we were – this whole idea of something that moves beneath the surface or behind the scenes, behind – you know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. There's something to that because – uh the, the reason this came up, we started talking about Hillary, we were talking about voting, we were talking about candidates that might be running, and uh, talking about how people perceive them, who's putting them up, why would you believe this person, why would you trust that person? So all right. of that was in this topic of conversation, but in talking about this, I, I, I was asked something about, uh, well, uh, where do you think America will be 100 years from now, or what do you think of, uh, and so on, the, the questions were coming like that. And I said, the, the very interesting thing, when you look at the history of mankind or humanity, it's almost synonymous with the history of war. It's almost synonymous with the history of uh, – you look through all this history, and you will, all, you will find that there is always the poor. What did Jesus even say? He said, the poor you will have with you always.
3: Sure. Right.
0: So there's the poor. We always have the rich. Uh, and then we always have the struggling middle classes, even when they weren't called the middle class. the the classes that were neither rich nor poor uh generally though speaking throughout history it's been rich and poor uh and only now in america in the the last couple of hundred years do we have an emerging middle class like it's never existed before so all of that to say this is that um i think there just might be a hidden hand at play and There's no way to prove this yet other than to look at the steeping amounts of evidence that say that it looks like something has manipulated somebody else. And I'm not talking creatures from outer space or subterranean reptilians or anything like that. I'm just talking without getting into any of that kind of uh, what you would call the mythos of it. It's looking at the fact that somebody's pulling the strings somewhere. I was asked about the whole ISIS situation. I said, I think it's eventually going to either go one of two ways, it's going to take over the whole Middle East and they'll have their caliphate or it's going to die out because all the nations are going to rise up again, but don't for a minute believe that it's going to go on forever unchecked because somebody's pulling the financial and the business strings behind it all. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: And it's not just left out on its own, it's under control by somebody. And it may not always go the way those somebody's wanted to go, but they have ways to, to make do and to change the situations. Um, and this came up when we found out today. Uh, just and I know this is not pertinent to everything, but it's by way of example. That news story that came out just in the last few days of uh, Senator Bob Graham, who is part of the Senate Committee on 9/11, is just now starting to squawk about how we've known all along in secret that the Saudis were funding the terrorists who flew the planes into the World Trade Center. And if they knew that, that means if the Saudi government funded them, that's an act of war. That's now 15 years old, 14 years old. Now, here's the the, the reason I use that, is that there are always things that start coming out and you start learning that there's more information always beneath. I was never a conspiratorialist when it came to 9-11. 9/11. I thought it's pure and simple. It was the terrorists. But now you're starting to find out that it's not all the wacky uh, uh, conspiracy theories. It's a very real theory that hey, one of the governments there actually funded them. And so this is this is the way I answer your question: is that I think there is something that's at play. Is it insidious and evil? We want to put these. Darth Vadery faces on these. There's the Sith is out there and it's working against the Jedi. You know, it's almost <laughs> the way we want to look at things. And maybe that exists to some extent, and we just don't know about it. But I think the place to start is to not go way out to the either over spiritualizing or over mythologizing or, or or any of that. It's it's to go a little closer in and say somebody's doing something. Somebody's in control of something. Um, I don't. I don't happen to think it's reptilians. I, I was on the fence on that when I wrote a book on the reptilians, and I really ended that book saying I really have no idea if the reptilians really exist. Uh, mm-hmm. What my book more examined was why we as people need those stories and can, mythologies. Oh,
4: can I say one more thing to you?
0: Sure. All right. Sure. sure.
4: On a personal level, I ended up capturing an under, uh a UFO, um unidentified flying object. Um now what you're saying that these beings that that uh write up on these orbs or, or ancient rocks or whatever they are, um are not, you know, no other beings from other planets or anything. Oh, I'm not saying
0: that. I'm not saying that at all. Uh the what I am saying is we don't know for sure. We don't know what they are. We don't know where they've got. Now when you said you captured a UFO, is then you've like got one in your garage or you well, I wish I did. I'd be
4: riding that
0: all over. I'll, I wouldn't even be on there if I had one of those in my garage. No, where are you I mean, going, like, honey. One. Where are you going, honey? I'm going to get some cigarettes. <laughs> but uh, that would be awesome. So you saw one of those. Now that, that's interesting too, because I, I've never had a UFO experience. But I can tell you this. Um, I was a believing skeptic, and I have had my, my full share of ghost-type experiences. Now, I couldn't tell you, even with my experiences, I, I've been pushed, shoved, talked to, uh, um, and not to get but a little felt up at times. Um, and I'm a fairly pragmatic, fairly normal, fairly clear-thinking guy. I don't need to see a ghost. Uh, so bad that I'll manufacture it in my mind, but I am curious about it, and so I've done my investigations, I've done my work, and I've run into things that I have no, absolutely no explanation for, and some of them with other people around me, and so I've come to the conclusions that there is something there. Can I prove it's a ghost? Even when I get communication that says it's my law, it's my dead aunt uh, asking me questions. I had something asking me questions through a box. Out at, well, I used to own a ranch, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, and in the middle of the night, and I'm getting this box talking to me, saying <laughs> it's my aunt. But and I would say things, and it couldn't hear me because there was no microphone. But then it would ask me questions. It said it was my aunt. It asked a question about my mom, uh, by name and things like that. Where's Janie? He would ask, and things like that. So I've had these experiences that I can't explain. Is that the ghost of my aunt? I have no idea. Um, is it an interdimensional being of some kind? No idea. Is it an alien? I don't know. Is it a demon? I have no idea. Here's the problem with all of that is we have no idea. What we do know, though, for certain is that, like when you're talking UFOs, there's a hell of a lot of information out there it's about rare. UFO activity. right. And uh, um, It exists. The phenomenon exists, um, and, and there are things that you can't explain, and you can't explain away. So all right. I'm, a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I just can't prove Thank it. you.
1: I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Selene. Appreciate your question. Thank you. Um, and, again, I think it goes back to what you said earlier, Scott. It's super important what you said earlier. You know, there is evidence to support that these things happen. I think we can all agree on that to a certain level. But I think the key, like you said, everybody has their own personal experiences, and it's hard to, uh, you know, to validate individual personal experiences, and that's the key. And I think that's so that's important it. to understand because that eliminates a lot of a lot of the confusion. So good point. All right, we're going to go back to an online question for you, and then we're going to go back to the phone Um I'll try to get to you as all We have about uh, half an hour left, so I, w- I will do my best to get to all of you. Um, if we don't get to all of you tonight, hopefully uh, somewhere in the near future, Scott will be able to come back when he has scheduled permits and we can get That's him to come back on. Fine. Yes, definitely. Um, next question we got from online. Uh, this is from um, Seth Atner. It says, some Christians, uh, again, I'm reading this to you, Scott. It's always a sure. quote. Jesus as the creator. So it says some Christians always equate Jesus as the creator. I do not share this by what I know. The Bible presents Jesus as the son of God. Could you share some perspectives on this master being called Jesus? How are we to look at Jesus? I guess they're what they're sure. trying
0: to Sure. Now, a really good person that you, you need to have on your show sometime is a man named Jeffrey Doherty. Um, he wrote a book called Apostle Paul Antichrist. And oh, uh, now, now what he meant by that is, now this is an old theory, but he has picked up on it. And he used to be a Pentecostal minister and uh, very steeped in it. And he left the ministry and and he started thinking through and researching these things where um, it, it, there's a train of thought out there, and Jeff promotes this, is that the Apostle Paul um, hijacked real Christianity. And well, that's what, what a lot you, of
1: my listeners believe. Just so you know, that's what a lot of my okay, listeners believe. Okay, so think.
0: many of you might be familiar <laughs> with this already. Uh, and if you, if I can promote my friend for a second here, if you go to Apostle, no, sure, go ApostlePaulAntichrist.com, uh, you'll see Jeff Dowerty's uh, book on that. And he's got a radio show on our network uh, called The Christian Whistleblower. And he goes through a lot of this kind of material. Um, okay. Where he believes he refers to the, the plastic dashboard Jesus of uh, most of the modern faith Christian faith right. versus who Yeshua really was, right. and uh, the teachings versus uh, the hijacked doctrine. Now I'm not thoroughly convinced yet, but he sure makes an intriguing case. But, right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got. I've got. Uh, it's spring here in Wisconsin, and uh, I've got some. Allergies going on, and this cough is just per, just persistent with me. So that's all right, that's sorry, right. I'm not always not always hitting my button. Um, that's all right. It sneaks up on me, but uh, um, his thinking is that you know two thirds of the that's New right. Testament written by the by Paul the Apostle. That's, uh, that's right. Has actually, nothing to do with Jesus Christianity. It has to do with Pauline Christianity. That's right. And uh, so when you start asking questions about Jesus. Uh, being the son of God, um, I think that there are verses where he did equate himself with God. But he also called himself in the one passage you brought up earlier tonight, he equated himself with being a son of God. That's right. Now, what's interesting is that a son of God is also, the Elohim. We're all sons of God. They were all, Elohim is Jesus in his pre-human, pre-incarnate form, simply one of the Elohim? We don't know for certain. Uh, so uh, my, my basic answer to that question is I don't really know. Uh, what I believed my whole life was that Jesus was God, very God. That's what we were taught. The Word became flesh and, and uh, dwelt among us. Uh, the cornerstone of Christianity, as we understand it, Is that Jesus was the atonement, the propitiation, the payment for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, as we brought up earlier. Uh, That Jesus did this and rose from the dead, as the Nicene Creed says, Um, and cited in some churches. So the cornerstone of modern Christianity is Pauline Christianity, is the the Christianity you find in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead, and he is God. Um, Now, is he the creator uh, you have the beginning of John, and the, in the beginning was the Word, the great Logos, that, that whole Greek concept, ancient Greek concept of the Logos, the the great nebulous Word. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, uh, and there was not anything that was made that was made without Him. Uh, so is Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth? Is He the Creator? Tough answer, um, because you could say, if he is indeed the, a human man who had the indwelling of the Spirit of God, then yes, he would be. He may not have been aware of that right away, but maybe grew into awareness of that. We don't know. There's a uh, Deepak Chopra wrote a book about that, on Jesus, about his becoming, growing into this illumination and understanding, but we don't really know for sure. So uh, my answer to that question is, you're asking me, uh, I don't know if you asked this directly of me, but the way I'm interpreting it is, is Jesus God? Is Jesus the creator? I wasn't there. I don't know. Uh, But I can tell you that my faith that I was in taught me that that was so. But nobody is telling me if what I believed by faith was the truth other than the faith itself. So I haven't found anything outside that faith that tells me something different. So when, when a faith only has as its source of, of um, proof or evidence things within the faith, eh, that's a little dubious to me, uh, despite right. what I have chosen, chosen to believe in my past. Uh, that's dubious to me because uh, I can't prove to you. If I say to you, I am, hey, you know what, Michael, I'm God, right? And you go, okay, uh, what's your proof? Well, I said so. <laughs> well, okay, there you there you have it. Amen. Right. Hallelujah. Scotty's God. Right. Uh, right. That's not enough proof. And Correct. It's it's, it's kind of hard to go by. So it's hard to say. Question.
1: All right. Well, appreciate that, and hope that answers your question. And, you know, and again, before we take our next phone call, it, it's interesting because then there's a lot of research out there. When you get into the Jesus story, it could open a lot of doors in correlation to a lot of other cultures because people equate the Horus or the Heru story, the similarities, and, and again, this is just comparing. Uh, they compare some of the uh, Sumerian texts of Tammuz, to the Jesus story, the similarity, because one thing that is permanent in most of these cultures is always that Savior figure, and it seems like this story, and we, we've talked about it in detail, and, and people have to understand when you're reading Genesis, and we haven't even touched on your book, the Exodus reality, and getting into, I don't know if we'll have time to do that tonight, probably not, the historical Moses, it's rough because we're seeing a lot of connections, and we're talking about the Nephilim, the reptilians, we're talking about a lot of connections with different cultures, especially in the Old Testament. And one thing I want to reiterate, you said earlier, there's nothing in the, in the Old Testament that teaches, like, that New, New Testament concept of salvation. It's not a book of salvation. When you really read the book, it kind of it's, – it's a history book or a conglomeration of many different stories, and we kind of have to put those, those pieces of that puzzle together. So right, it's, it's very interesting that that's coming up. All right, let's go back to the phone. Um, and, again, I'm calling this person out by state. It says Mid-Southeast Texas. Uh, you are on the call. Can you hear me? Hello, Mid-Southeast Texas. You are on the call. Can you hear me? All right. Well, they're there. I don't know if they can hear me. Uh-oh. Hello. Can you hear me? Are you there? Okay. We're going to go to the next call. I can't hear you. I
3: can hear I can hear
1: Oh, there Okay, we go. I, get, I got you. I got you now. We had a little problem. For whatever reason, when people call from Texas, I can never get them in clear. It's the weirdest thing. But oh, you're on the call with Scott Roberts. Go ahead.
2: Peace and love. My name is Adrian calling from Houston, Texas. I'm just – I don't really have a question. I just want to say thanks. I'm first-time listening tonight. Uh just want to give thanks to Brother Beniti and the guests tonight, and I'm excited to be a part of the family.
1: Okay, appreciate you listening in and stay on. We're going to be on. We got a little more. Appreciate you listening in. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Uh, let's go to the, uh, and then we'll take one more online. We'll take another call and then we'll go back to online since that technically wasn't a question. All right, this one just says Georgia. Georgia, you are on the call. I'm are you there,
2: Georgia? Yes. Yes, I
1: can hear you. Go ahead. You, oh. We can hear you. Go ahead.
2: You... Okay, hello, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having this lovely guest. I, um, I am a, a huge fan of the uh, Book of Enoch. Uh, that's what drew me to uh, listen in on you. Have you Have you read the entire Book of uh, Enoch?
0: Not me. Yes, I have.
2: Okay, great. Great. Okay, well, um, this is uh, where I started my journey. I was actually um, uh, Baptist. I've had some Catholic experience, and uh, I've read the Bible a couple times. And for the past I would say three years I've been really doing some deep research and I got connected to the Book of Enoch. And uh, then I started um this past year listening on Dry Bones Connection and he talked a lot, he's shared a lot with uh Kemet in Egypt and the Sumerians. I've learned, you know, a, a lot from that. And so I put all that together And I came up with this theory, and this is my theory, and I just want, you know, your your opinion on it. Because I see that you're kind of in a crossroad with your religion and your uh, research with the reptilians, the fallen angels, and and all that. So um, my thing is, um, let's just say that Adam and Eve was not the pure race. Okay, that means that anything that came from Adam and Eve was uh, part human and part uh, uh, Nephilim, the fallen angel. Let's just call them that. And if that is the case, and then we take the Bible. Most of the, the writers in the Bible, uh, they wrote about, and let's go to New Testament. They came up, They came and played 30, 40 years after the alleged prophet. So they didn't meet him. They don't know them. And then let's take Jesus. There's absolutely no evidence of him. Because not 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 one nothing written in, in Roman, no other no not, no no evidence of Jesus, so that doesn't exist there. But let's take the book of Enoch. Now, most people they want you to look at the most ancient stories. That's mythology. They're, they're myths. That's not you know. That's, and, and and then you want and then in the uh, in the in the religious world they want you to go on faith. Faith doesn't uh, mean anything. Fact means everything. And when you look at the creator of the universe and the earth. Why not go with facts instead of faith? So let's just go the Book of Enoch, and this is why I've been, and, you know, I've drawn there because I can see facts there. They, with the, the information I, I've learned, it's, it's very complex. I've read, I've read, I've read it. I've got the R.H. Charles version, maybe 120 pages, but it's very deep. And, um, and it tells you the fact is that the, the fallen angels came down here and had sex and they had giants, which is in the Bible. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Smithsonian Museum. They I am. They came from nine feet to thirty feet right here on our land. So that's evidence that the Creator said. And there's one portion of it. There was a hundred thousand of them, and they were in a battle. And in, in, in Book of Enoch, he said that when they when they came to Enoch, the to Ethiopian, when they came to him, they 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 came for a plea. And he says, No, I will not you know, forgive you guys. As a matter of fact, not even your children. You're going to see your children go to battle, okay? And now we have evidence of that. That's a fact. That's, that's not faith at all. So if, if that, and then and then it talks about this, thing, you know, I'm, I learned about the sun and the moon being outside in the daytime. I learned about the luminaries, how the, the stars and the suns and how, how you know, that the, the creator is made of fire. Earth, you know, it has all the elements of us through so Enoch. It's not like a human being, and there's nowhere, there's no way possible that a Jesus can come down here on Earth that that created such power and walk around. So that is that is that is the, the enslavement of the Roman Empire that in, in, that created this whole story because the stories of the, the the Bible, it's my opinion, is based on the mutation of humans and they're and them trying to create their own race. They came down here and had sex and had the Giants. That's one race. And then they said, you know what, we want a power race. So that's where they started, you know, genet- So if that is the case, everything right. that we, we read on is, is, um, is uh, based on the, the, the Nephilim stories of the Bible. What is your take on that? I know it's a lot.
0: I'm sorry. Well, well let's, no, no, don't be apologetic. That is a lot. And I would uh, love to
2: know your radio show, too. If you can tell me your radio show, I would love to listen in on your show. Sure. Uh, if you can well, give us that information.
1: You. Sure. Yeah, why, don't you you. Give that, why don't you give that again, Scott, before you answer that question, just so people can have that, that website and the radio show again.
0: Sure. Our radio show is called the Intrepid Radio Program. You just go to IntrepidRadio.com. And that's a, you can go look at that. That's got our site. It shows all our past guests down at the bottom of the page. There's a chat room in there, of course. And uh, there's a 24-7 stream that plays in there of all the archives from all our different hosts. But you could go to IntrepidRadio.com. And uh, you can also go to my website, Scott Allen Roberts. And Allen is A-L-A-N. ScottAllenRoberts.com. And I'll give you a link to all my stuff. And if you just go there, you can find the Intrepid Radio link there, too. Um, let's see. I'm trying to focus on, on one thing. The Book of Enoch, I have always described as kind of uh, Lord of the Rings meets, uh, meets the Old Testament on crack. Um, that's, that's almost the way the Book of Enoch reads It's such a wild, wild compilation of stories, uh, and it's very interesting. Now, now, what's also very interesting is the Book of Enoch, although it is in one of the apocryphal books, It was removed from Scripture or voted to not be part of Scripture under the Councils of Nicaea and the different councils that followed uh, under the Catholic bishops. They decided and determined which books were canonical and which were not. And their criteria was they had to have a unanimous decision on either way. If it was to be included, if it was to be excluded. But on the Book of Enoch, they had so much controversy over it that they said that we, they, we just can't just boot it out. Uh, so they set it over into the Apocryphal books with a couple of other books. And <clears throat> Jesus himself quoted from the book of Enoch. Paul quoted from Enoch. Uh, some of the minor prophets quoted from Enoch. I think Peter quoted from Enoch. And I thought, man, if he's good enough for these guys, it's good enough for me. What did the Catholic bishops see wrong with it? Uh, but it's because it's such a wild, crazy collection of stories. And what's very interesting is even in the book of Enoch, they aren't angels. We keep finding the the, the book the, the word for angel is uh, malosh uh, or malachi for plural. And those are words just do not appear in the text in the Hebrew. And so uh, that's not what the beings are. It, it calls them prefects who came down. And it gives the names Shemyaza and, and Azazel. And some of these things uh-huh. we're familiar with. Uh, but some of them are also associated with archangels, so it's a it's a confusing set of information there, a bit of information and in all of this stuff. Um, as far as I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what your exact question was in all of that, because uh, there was a lot of information there. But uh, um, I do know that the Book of Enoch presents a, a very cogent story of the Nephilim, and it's very clear that the Genesis passage was actually taken from the original writings of Enoch. Now, here's what's very interesting about that, is the book of Enoch only dates to the 400s B.C., uh, but it was quoted by the book of Gen- the writer of the book of Genesis quotes some things from the book of Enoch in his four verses, just a curtailed... Uh, it it's almost looks like an edit in the Hebrew. Uh, right. So it's as if he copied it from another source. Uh, I think the 4th century... B.C. Book of Enoch is just a copy of a much older book. And uh, so that's a story, a tale that existed for a long time. And Enoch said, you know, that this all happened during uh, uh, his father's um, lifetime. Um, and that these these prefects all descended to Mount Armon, which is Mount Hermon, in the north of Israel. You go to Israel today, you can visit Mount Hermon. And uh, it's it's this three-peaked mountain that straddles the Golan Heights between northern Israel and Lebanon up there in the north of Israel. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Bill Burns a long time ago, um, who used to do uh, the UFO Hunters Show, and, and he's got UFO Magazine. He used to publish and all of this. He's an author in his own right. And uh, he was talking about how, and, and uh, th- there was some information where, and I think this was presented on Ancient Aliens, which is not a series that I a series that I I hold in high regard. But uh, um, when it's in its earlier days, it had some pretty good information. But they talked about how that uh, that Mount Armon, or Mount Herman, sits on the thirty third parallel, and mm. it's the 33rd parallel, all the way around to the exact opposite point on the other side of the planet, you end up at very close to the crash site in Roswell, New Mexico. Mm. And and now there's a much ado that's made out of that saying it's these grids, these these, these lines, these ley lines, these grid lines that get followed. And uh, so there's something very mysterious about that because the Golan Heights today is still a very secretive place and it's very highly militarized and guarded, even though there's Ski resorts on it. So um, uh, there's something about how the the 200 prefects from heaven, the, the nephilim. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The watchers came down. The sons of God, the, the Elohim, came <coughs> down and set foot on the slopes of Mount Armon, and that's where they made a pact to go in amongst human women. And, human. and uh, this is recorded in Enoch. And it, what's interesting is it's not painted as an evil deed. It's Even the, the Genesis passage, it's very neutral. It's not saying it's good or evil, these characters. And right. What these guys did was uh, the, the sin, so to speak, was in revealing the forbidden knowledge of the gods. Here we are. We're back at that again. Because what <laughs> the Book of Enoch tells us is that these prefix revealed things to the humans about how to do certain things, uh, agriculture, and the making of metal, uh, weapons, um, um, ag- uh, uh, I said agriculture, the signs of the sun, moon, and stars, uh, cosmetics, uh, all of this stuff was things that they were taught to humans. And what's interesting is it said that they went in amongst human women and they married those whom they loved and those whom they chose and uh, they took on this form, this human form, and did this and so and they and it says, and they dwelt with them, they cohabited with them. It wasn't just a sexual act to spread some kind of star seed or something. it was these beings went in amongst women that they loved, uh-huh. and they cohabited with them, and so there is no evil deed that's attributed. the evil was in breaking the word of God, the law of God that said they couldn't do it. And they said, let it be on us and us alone. And they did it. So it's an interesting story.
1: Very interesting. interesting. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question, sister?
2: Yeah, but you know, know, and I just, uh, just just one last question. You stated earlier that I think that, uh, you thought that Book of Enoch was, I'm not sure how, how old, but I've done a lot of research and the, I have not been able. And I, I've, I'm, I'm estimating maybe a couple hundred thousand years. And the reason why I say that is because they, he says, in Jared's days, you know, Jared's days. And I know if you take it with J away, because J just came about 400 years ago, and you, and you replace it with the Y, you still can't even find any information on which well, time. frame. Jared.
0: Bring... Jared was the father of Enoch. Right. <clears throat> um.
2: But it says, but okay, but I'm saying like if you try to find a timeline, 'cause see everything, you know how you can kind of find find out, you have to know the timeline, and I I haven't been able to find anything solid of the actual age of the scrolls that was found in the um, you know found in the case. Uh, I've heard that uh, the Jews have that the portion that we have is only a portion, but they have the remaining scrolls that, you know, that's just an incomplete book that, that, that we do have available. But there's no one to say exactly how old that scroll is. You know, I just want to area
0: You're talking about the Book of Enoch itself? Yeah. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that was compiled by Barossus, um the 4th century uh, BCE uh, philosopher, magician, whatever you want to call him. Uh, but he was rewriting off of a more ancient text or at least recompiling off of an ancient text. Yeah, the same thing happened with the Old Testament Uh, when they wrote the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which is where we get our modern Old Testament from. It was right right around the same time, the fourth to fifth centuries BC, after the Israelite captivity in Babylon, the 72 rabbis went to the Library of Alexandria under the permission of Ptolemy II and recompiled the old scriptures out of oral tradition and what they could find in the library. Uh, and right. this is why I think you have a lot of things that had textually changed from when they were originally written. So, right. same problem wow. for the book of Jacob. A the. Okay. lot of information. Yeah. All right, so that's yeah, answer I, your question. I, I, or...
2: yeah, did, did you tell us the time of your show on Sunday? Uh,
0: 9 p.m. Central Standard Time to 11 p.m. So, okay. out on the East Coast, we're going to be 10, 10 to midnight. Um, uh, and you can and we we'll play live right over there on intrepidradio.com. Okay,
2: thank All you right. so much for coming. Appreciate thank you. No too. problem.
1: All right, appreciate the call. And, and again, I guess what, what we can definitely for sure establish we we know. There are these beings. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the reptilians yet. And we don't have time tonight. We haven't even gotten into whether you believe in shapeshifters, uh, the bloodline of the reptilian. We haven't even gotten into any of that. But we can. <laughs> we've more see. been focusing on the Nephilim. We can establish there is the evidence does support to a certain extent. There is some connection. There is some connection with the genealogy between us. And these beings, it's there. I mean, the evidence supports it. There's passages, whether you're looking through a biblical context, whether you're going back to other cultures that predate the Bible, the evidence is there. And I think that's the key that we have to focus on. All right. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple more questions and uh, make sure you stick around, uh, you know, after we um, let okay. Scott go away with a little post game. Uh, we're going to take two more questions. Is that okay for you, Scott? We take two more
0: questions? That's just fine.
1: All right, so we're going to take two more questions. Let's. Um, I'm going to take this one offline. Um, this one says, and this is it says Jesus was told. Again, I'm reading this to you, Scott. Jesus told his disciples that the miracle he performs, others would do greater than him. Therefore, this conceptualization that Jesus is God or slash the Creator is negated by this quote in a sense. So, are we to take it that we have the same potential as him? That's the question.
0: Hi think that, that you, you know, you're getting into theological questions here. Uh, Christianity might give you a different answer than somebody who looks at Jesus from a metaphysical point of view. Right. Um, uh, Jesus did say that some of you will be able to perform deeds even greater than mine. Uh, right. Now, does that mean that they can raise people from the dead? Does that mean that they have the ability to um, rise again on the third day? We don't know what he meant exactly by that, other than, Perhaps it was a, a a simple statement of saying there's going to be some of you who can do even greater things than I did, meaning meaning more widespread. You're going to do more. You're going to do more of the same. You're going to spread out there. Uh, is every word of Jesus were to take as this literal um, theological master concept? Oh well, you know Jesus said uh, uh, you know you'll do more than me. That means that means people absolutely will have that ability. Or was he speaking in metaphor. We don't really know how he, was, how he meant that. Um, right. We can get feelings about things, and this is one of the things, again, I've got to reiterate. We can't operate on how we feel about something or how we think about something. Correct. You, you've got to look at it and try to find out what, it, what he meant. And you've got to put it in, whenever you're reading something out of an old manuscript like the Bible, you've got to think of three different things. Number one, the language it's written in. Number two, to whom it was being written,
3: Very and number important.
0: three, what the audience would have understood in their context, not in a 21st century context.
3: Correct. So
0: these are things that you have to look at all of this when you're trying to understand what he meant by that. And uh, I, I think he was just saying that you know you're going to be able to do miraculous deeds in my name. And Correct. Uh, now now this is of course all predicated on whether or not. The resurrection and the, the, the accounts of Jesus after the resurrection are truth, or, oh, or, or were they manufactured? <laughs> we don't know for sure. Exactly. That's very my, important. And it aches my heart sometimes because that's where I came from. That was my faith, my foundational faith. And it aches me that I don't know for sure anymore. Uh, Correct. I'm not, not convinced by the feeling of faith. I want to know what I believe. And I think Correct. that's that's what it means to, to have. And Paul wrote this, of course. Uh, depending on whether you believe he is right or wrong, he said there's the, the milk is for babies. He says, but meat is for the mature. And I think uh, this whole thing of faith is for the babes, but knowing is for the mature.
1: I agree. And, and again, this is just this is just my my perspective. And again, we're all going to have our own perspective on it. And the key thing you said at the end. Predicated on the whole resurrection and after the fact. I mean, in my research, this is just my, again, I'm speaking for myself, and I don't per se, I, I was born and raised Catholic, left that long time ago, but I don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. I believe it, it, it has been grafted from many other different ancient cultures that predated it. You know, whether you want to go to the Sumerian cultures and talk about the Anunnaki, etc. Um, but the key point you just said at the end, truth is for the mature. So, again, we have to we have to do our research and study and not go by our personal, you know, feelings. Because, again, this can be interpreted. And I've always said that you got to, when you're reading the Bible, and it's a key thing you just said, Scott, you got to know when that book was revealed, what was the condition of the people, what context it was written in at that time. And things were relayed differently, because we can look in the Bible, for an example, I mean, I don't want to touch the book of Revelations for right now, but there was metaphors in there, you know, used in layman terms back then when they were describing futuristic events, but that goes into a whole, you know, a whole nother story, but that's a, that's a key thing. All right. So what I want to do is take one more question for you, Scott. All, and right. I'm going to have you All give, right. I'm going to, I'm going to have you give your information before you leave one last time, but let's go to our last caller for the night and everybody stick around after Scott leaves just for a little, little uh, closing thoughts and we'll um, give you some announcements before we go off the air, but let's go to, uh, we got uh, Satuk in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. What's going on, Satuk? You are on the call with Scott Roberts. Hey, how you doing? Greetings, greetings to you. Um, my, my question basically is, um, uh, as far as the reptilian subject, why um, would they want to mix with uh, the humans or anyone alike? What, what, why would they want to do that? And if they did, what is, their, what is the impact of uh, of that uh, of that
0: action uh, still today. Um, so you're asking why would uh, why would they want to mingle with human beings? Yeah, he's saying, oh, he's, no, saying
1: well, he's, he's I'm sorry. He's saying if they did, Scott, say they did, what would be the purpose? Again, is that your oh, question? Yeah, so
0: right, right yes, I see yes. what you're saying. Well, the Anunnaki. First of all, we don't have any any indication of the Anunnaki mingled with humans. We, we do have stories from the old cuneiform tablets that said the gods of the Mesopotamians, the Anunnaki, that they created primeval humans to do their work for them. Um, not that they mingled with them. Um, so the Anunnaki, we don't have that, that mingling in there at all. Uh, where the mingling comes in is, you know, I think you're talking about the Elohim, uh, which is in the Hebrew texts. And the Elohim it just says simply, as we were just talking about from the book of Enoch, with the, one of the last callers, is that they came down and they desired women. In some translations, it says they lusted after human women, uh, so it was a, a lustful thing. In in other translations, you have that they loved them and that they wanted to cohabit with them and that they spent their lives with them. Uh, so it's it's a it's a very interesting. Uh, uh, question because we don't really know all we have is what the mythological tales uh, the legends the scripture in some cases if you will tell us about them uh so we have the intent the only intent we're given is that they wanted to do it is that they desired the women of of uh of of uh, the the i'm sorry the human women and they wanted to cohabit with them mm, okay so that's all we really um, know
1: okay
3: all right Thank I appreciate you
1: that. No problem. So, so, all right, Scott, we definitely appreciate it. I, I know we, we scratched the surface. We for sure are not done, and I definitely, most definitely want to get you back here when you're available. I am going to check out your buddy because um, I'm getting a lot of emails and hits about the Apostle Paul Antichrist already. So,
3: yes, definitely,
1: yes. yeah, definitely want to check that out because we get a lot of those those questions on the show. So, I definitely appreciate that. Um and I'm actually going to have, uh, you're probably familiar with Ralph Ellis. He's going to be on in a couple of weeks. We're going to have him on the show. Um, and right. books. He, yeah, he's been out for, he's, you know, he's done a lot of work. Um, but, again, appreciate your time. Um, one one quote I want to read from your book, and, and, and then if you can give um, your information one last time. Sure. I, I, I always liked this quote. You have it in the 10th chapter of the rise and fall of Nephilim, this biblical quote. And I think this is <laughs> it's key. It says, don't forget, to show hospitality to strangers, this is uh, Hebrews thirteen two. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. That that, that quote always stuck out to me as a kid. Yeah. So it's a yeah. very interesting quote,
0: and that's that's a very poignant quote too. And it's very simple. I, I I once encountered an old man on the street that was asking for money, and we got into a conversation, and he was very aloof, and and uh, um, I gave him a couple of bucks, and he put a. A pin in my hand. It was like a a prayer medallion or something. And he uh, had it in his close fist. And he put it in my hand, and I opened it. He said, "Look at this later." And he walked away. And it was a picture of Jesus. And uh, <laughs> I never saw the guy again. But I had given him some money, and I thought, you know, you sometimes wonder: is this what that passage refers to? Are these the angels that we are unaware of 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 speaking with? Uh, Correct. So you never know. It might have just been an old drunk, but he also right. might have been something else. You never know. That's
1: right. That's right. I right, appreciate it, Scott. Again, one last time before you go, give people the information to your website where they can purchase your books and and get a list of information sure. of your show, etc.
0: Well, my publisher would like to say uh, the books are available anywhere books are sold, but you can go to my website, com, And Scott is with two T's. Alan is A-L-A-N, so com. Everything about me is on that website.
1: All right. I appreciate it, Scott. And I'll definitely be in touch, and uh, I'll try to correlate with you when the next time you are available to come back, because I definitely would love to have you back on the show. Appreciate you coming. I
0: would love to. Thank you very much, Michael. All right. No
1: problem. Have a great night, Scott.
0: And you too. Bye-bye.
1: All right. We want everybody to uh, you know stick around for a little bit. Uh, just make a couple of quick announcements. Uh kinda of get your thoughts. Well, we'll if, if you want to hang around for a little bit, we'll go back through the phones real quick. Uh just give you some upcoming shows. Uh again, next week we will if you didn't if you missed the first show, you definitely want to come back uh for the second show. Um Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum is gonna come back on and um he's he's written several books. We've We've talked with him um uh, thoroughly on the last show. We we weren't able to get through a whole bunch of his material. So he is going going to come back for a um a second sitting with us and and I'm sure you guys will appreciate that. And he gets very thorough. He is a retired psychologist. He he still has his practice in Boston, Massachusetts. So he gets he gets very heavy on the psychological level. And you definitely want to google him and check him out. Um that I think is a is a level of information that sometimes we lack in this whole thing, the psychological aspect of it, okay? Um, The week after that, we'll have Ralph Ellis on. He'll be on on April 30th, so don't miss that. Ralph Ellis, go to his website also and check him out. It's edfu-books.com. Ralph Ellis has been around for a while. He's um, traveled all throughout Egypt, kind of like uh, Scott was saying earlier. He's done that along with a lot of the other authors that write these books, um, He gets heavy um, into a lot of similar stuff that we're discussing tonight about the Bible and the origins of it, the historical Jesus, things of that nature. Um, So we'll have him on um, on the 30th. So we definitely want you to tune in um, for that and, uh, you know, get your thoughts. If anybody, maybe we're missing out there that you would like to see. We try to get everybody on this show um, to give you a perspective. And, And, again, the purpose of this is... We don't want nobody to dictate to you what truth is. You've got to raise yourself up to that realization of truth. And and the key is we have to always keep in mind, uh, you know, a lot of us have personal experiences, and that's just what they are. They're personal. It doesn't mean that they're, they're true or they didn't happen, but the thing is it's personal for you. So we have to understand that when dialoguing with each other, and I think this is where some confusion sometimes comes in, um, with certain individuals um when when debating uh certain topics or information um the key is we have to go with what's there um but we we have established tonight and this has been a uh, many many people have touched on this subject whether it's uh Zachariah Stitchin, um another another good author I would like to throw out there is Andre Paris he wrote uh, a book called uh, planet gold the christian forgery that kind of also gets into this Whole Anunnaki thing and the biblical thing. He's another good author to definitely go check out um, and go research. Uh, but that's the purpose of, of of having this. Every all these individuals have been blessed to do this research and then present it to us, um, just like Scott did tonight. Um, and and we only touched on one of his books. Really, we were trying to touch on three of them, but. We only touch basically on a small portion of one of many books he has written. Um, that's why we'll get him back on. I would like to get him to talk about some of his other books, but this is it's a very detailed topic. You're not going to get it in all one sit down it's It's a topic that's that's you know we can sit here and dialogue for it to the wee hours of the morning, and we still have more to add to it. But I do think the one key thing is when we when we go to the Bible, as we did tonight. And, and, and showing you some of these, these, these scriptures and these passages, I think it eliminates, in my opinion, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm not speaking for anybody out there, it eliminates, the, to me, the nonsense that has been perpetrated by the Bible for over the years. Now, this is just my personal opinion. I, I in my research, I don't believe in any of those biblical stories no more because I believe they've come from stories that predate it. I do believe that these were actual characters but not the modern-day way it's perpetrated to us. Today, I do believe, like Scott was saying, that there are hands behind the scenes today when he was mentioning some current events um, that definitely tie into, you know, things that are going on. You know, currently there's a connection with this today, and, I, you know, I do believe there are powers that be that do hide behind religion and use it as a tool um to maybe to maybe uh perpetrate another agenda because when we when we go all over the world right now we see that whether it's the Middle East, um even even all over Africa, there's civil war and and there's either Islam, Christianity, or Judaism somewhere behind it. Now, that doesn't make every Muslim, Christian and Jew bad, that's not what I'm saying. But there are those fanatics out there that do use religion as a means to propagate their own personal agenda, and it kind of gives religion a bad name. So, by all means, I'm not judging uh, if you're Muslim, Christian, or Jew. I'm not judging you, but unfortunately, religion now is being used as a tool to control the masses. But I think when we when we dialogue about subjects like we've dialogued about tonight, I think it takes away, you know, that that personal belief because we're presenting a lot of archaeological evidence. And again, like Scott said, can you prove all this? No. Can anything be 100% proven? No, that's not the point of what we're saying because it's debatable. And we saw with the line of questions that we got tonight, um, people gave sometimes a question um, based on their own personal perception of information. And that's one thing we have to all understand. When we dialogue, everybody has a certain perception of how they perceive things. Now, I'm sure everybody listening to this show and people that called in tonight and asked questions, um, they're all at a different stage in their mental evolution. Some people have more experience and have done more research than others, vice versa. Um, Some people might be on a more metaphysical level. Some people might be, you know, more on a spiritual or a mystic level. So there's a difference of opinion and perception, which is very important to understand, you know, when we dialogue and ask questions. But that, again, that's the purpose Of why we do what we do that's the name of the show and that's why we call it awakening Universal Minds Um, so having said that just wanted to give some closing thoughts on that we do appreciate everybody tuning in so again remember every Thursday night 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on TalkShoe.com Awakening Universal Minds Um, again you can go if you want to automatically be generated uh, the new shows as they're posted, you can go right to the top of the page and hit the follow button, and you can put your email in, and you automatically uh, get generated an email, and you'll actually be on the list. That's the best way. So if you um, like the show tonight and you are maybe a new listener, I know we had several new listeners tonight. Um, if you are a new listener and you uh, want to do that, you can go to the top of the page again. You'll see a section that says Follow, and you can put your email in. You'll automatically be generated an email of of the show every week and uh, who's going to be on, et cetera. It's a good way to follow it. And one thing I would like to uh, encourage—I know we get a lot of callers. It's it's nice if you register with a name. It makes it a little easier. I know some people just come in when you done. The reason why I say that, uh, you hear me say that in the beginning of the show and throughout. If you don't register, it just tells me the state. Like we had multiple callers on from Georgia. So it makes it a little bit confusing. Um, so it's nice if you come on, you register. You could create whatever name you want. I don't. It doesn't even have to be your real name. I don't care. Um, it just makes it easier to go through the call queue when you have a registered name. Then I can call you out by your name. Because um, I just want to make that clear. If you do not register and and create a username, all I see is a state that you're calling from. So if we have multiple calls on from New York, like we did tonight, Georgia. Uh, you know, et cetera, it just makes it a little bit, you know, a little bit harder because we're not really sure, you know, which person from that state we're talking to. So I would I would uh, encourage you to, to register and create a username. Um, if you have any questions or comments about the show, or if you have any suggestions, or maybe you would like us to do a topic that interests you, or maybe there's somebody you would like to see on the show, um, you could email me personally um, at khn um19 at gmail dot com. Again, that's K-H-N UM19 at gmail.com. You can email me at that email. That's the show email address and any comments, thoughts, suggestions. Uh, I'm open to it. So by all means feel free to uh, hit me up with the email. Um, that's about it. That's what I got for you tonight. And we hope to see everybody back here uh, next Thursday night, 9 p.m. And we'll have Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum joining us.